back in the fur shed. This is the Trapping Today podcast. I'm Jeremiah Wood. It's great to be here and I'm glad you're here with me. This is episode 95. We are closing in on 100 episodes. That's pretty exciting. I can hardly believe it. I don't know if we'll do anything special for that or not. The Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. That's their motto over at Cots Bros. And great trapping supply company. They've got uh, books, DVDs, baits, lures, traps, and basically everything you need to get started trapping. Big supporters of the podcast, big supporters of the website, trappingtoday.com. So uh, those guys really, um, I'd appreciate if you give them some of your business. Uh, They've got an excellent, excellent customer service, really knowledgeable guys, real fast shipping and competitive prices. So check out cotsbros.com. Also check out Fur Harvesters Auction where the world comes to buy wild fur. Fur Harvesters is an auction house that's run by trappers for trappers. Uh, These guys really care and they really work hard to promote wild fur. So, um, you know, an auction house, a small auction house run by trappers, they're they're keeping our concerns in mind when it comes to trying to sell fur, trying to get the most value, trying to promote fur. you know, I actually, speaking of Cots Bros, I talked with Kyle. We had an interview over the phone this week, had actually a really great conversation. We talked about a bunch of things, including uh, where we're at right now in the fur market. And he talked about the importance of ranch fur in driving the overall fur market. Um, and and there there's good and bad in ranch fur when it comes to, you know, wh- what we do as wild fur producers. So, uh you know, we do need that ranch fur market, but at the same time, we also need to make sure that trappers are represented in the fur market as well. And I think Fur Harvesters does a good job in making sure that happens. So, for instance, I'm going to talk really quickly about this uh, Fur Mark thing that they have going on. Fur Mark is a, an independent, uh, comprehensive certification and traceability program that covers sustainability, animal welfare, and dressing and dyeing of fur. So it's basically certification for fur. And it's something that I think was driven by concerns uh, from buyers in the ranch uh, fur industry, people who are buying ranch fur. Uh, But but it's just a case where I think uh, FHA really worked hard to make sure that wild fur producers weren't left in the back in the dust um, and we're in it, we had a, maybe a more difficult time to sell our fur. So when it comes to wild fur under Furmark, uh, they say wild fur because of the myriad of international laws, federal, state, and provincial rules in place is already certified. Third-party oversight already exists. Basically, we are regulated by state and local and federal government. And all wild fur that's sold through auction is certified. So all wild fur is certified when sold through auction and is a part of the fur mark system because it meets the following criteria. It is science-based. There are mountains of research behind wild fur. ISO standards, the international agreements, federal, state, provincial laws and regulations, along with BMPs in the U.S. and trap testing in Canada. Third-party oversight. The third-party oversight already exists with the rules, laws, and regulations as outlined above. Additionally, uh, the two auctions that sell 
Wild fur have agreements with the Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources with guarantees an additional layer of oversight. And transparency, all rules and agreements are already readily available online. So basically, fur harvesters made sure that wild fur was going to be included in this whole traceability program and certification. Uh, just another example where, you know, these guys are looking out for us. So uh, I I would appreciate I appreciate those guys being supporters of the podcast, and I appreciate you sending some fur to FHA. Um, I know that you will be happy. Um, the auctions may not always go the way we want them to, but uh, they're going to treat you fair and uh, and do the best they can to get the highest price possible for your fur. All right, let's talk about a couple things. You're going to be excited about tonight's interview. I think we're going to talk to J.P. Wilson about trapping in New Mexico, and that's uh, that's always an exciting topic, going out of state and trapping new species in a new area. But I got a couple other things I wanted to cover. So the podcast in general is growing like crazy. That's a really exciting thing for me to see. There's uh, a lot of you guys have been listening for a long time, as well as uh, new people finding this podcast every week. And you can email me jrodwood at gmail.com, J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. If you've just discovered the podcast and you want to shoot me a little thank you, a lot of people do that, or ask me a question. Uh, let me know something you like to hear more of or you like to see covered. That's uh, it's always fun to hear from me, and I, I hear from people every week. And, you know, we're, we're about double the amount of downloads we were about oh six months ago so we're closing in on 70,000 downloads overall and about seven to nine hundred on at the six week period per episode so that is just really 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 good but uh, I, I do want to see a little more in terms of helping people find the podcast so you know things that you can do to help promote, you know, maybe mention it to your friends. If, if you get a friend who traps and doesn't know about the podcast, uh, let them know. Maybe, maybe we'll get a few more people listening in. But the biggest thing you probably do to help out is get onto iTunes and leave a rating and review. And I don't ask for this very often. I have a little bit in the past, but it, it is really a good way to get the podcast boosted up in the rankings. And a lot of times, you know, iTunes uses an algorithm to determine, you know, which podcast they're going to promote. And if you have a really high rating and a lot of reviews, that's going to bump the podcast up in, in the category that it's in. It looks like they have put us in, we were kind of in a general sports and outdoor category. Now we're in the wilderness category, I believe. Um, that's what it, iTunes is telling me, or Apple Podcast is telling me right now. And we've got... Uh, a rating of 4.9 out of 5 and 86 ratings and a, a bunch of different reviews. So that's really good. But I'd like to bump that up a little bit. It'd be nice to get in the triple digits on those ratings. So if you can do that, that would be awesome. If you if you get on to Apple Podcasts and leave a, uh, rate the podcast and leave a review, that would just be great and it would help more people find out about the podcast. Um, it, it would be cool to get some people that you know, aren't necessarily trappers, but they're interested in it to find out about the podcast. Maybe they're searching for a hunting podcast, for instance, or something general outdoors, and all of a sudden trap this Trapping Today podcast comes up, and, and they click on it, download it, and start listening. And Wow, you know, there's actually several people who have emailed me and said they're this is their first year of trapping. 
they're just getting into it. And so it's, it's an exciting thing for me. We're always talking about how do we get more people into trapping? How do we recruit more trappers? And, and we need to do these programs and we need to do this and do that. And, and I've never been a believer that there's one single solution. Uh, we really got deep into this. If you listen to the podcast back when Kyle Cotts interviewed me and we got into a little bit of my background and then we talked in the end, you know, at the end of the episode about, uh, you know how to you know promoting trapping in general and how how to do that and what the right way to do that is. Uh, it was a pretty deep conversation, and I I've, I think I, I kind of tried to get the point across that just these these little small steps and people that want to trap or are interested in trapping and may not have all the information that they need to get going. Uh, things like this podcast things like trapperman.com and uh, other trapping podcasts and other websites uh, things like having a friend that traps and and tells you about it and takes you along you know those things go a long way in helping people get going so it's little small steps to get more people trapping and uh, I think we're headed in the right direction so leave an iTunes or leave an Apple Podcast review. I keep forgetting they changed their name to Apple Podcast. And and you can also leave a review if you if you listen in other places that there oftentimes are opportunities to leave reviews there. One place that's going in the wrong direction when it comes to trapping is California. And I think we all kind of know this. California's kind of out way out on the outer edge when it comes to uh, outdoors and hunting and fishing and trapping they're kind of uh, in an extreme case of the anti-hunting anti-trapping uh, anti-consumptive outdoor use agenda so california just passed a bill in the legislature that banned trapping and and it's not really a big surprise california has kind of uh, chipped away in small pieces at trapping for many many years they banned trapping for certain species like bobcats they've banned certain types of trapping like the steel foothold trap and they have made it so difficult to the point where the state which is a huge state only had like a hundred something trapping licenses sold the past few years so it wasn't very difficult for them to ban trapping because there weren't many trappers left to argue or fight against it and the, the fur industry in California was essentially almost dead to begin with, so it didn't take much to kind of tip it over the edge. It's, it's incredibly unfortunate, and uh, we, we all should take notice as trappers and hunters in other states that this could happen to us in, in the future. Uh, it, it's, it's something to be concerned about, I think. Uh, it, it's not something I'd be worried about in most other places however if you live in a place in a state like Connecticut or New Jersey you know we've we I know trappers who live in both of those areas this this is something that maybe is a little bit concerning to you so it's something to think about and it's it's something that we need to be considering anytime we communicate trapping with members of the public and I wanted to share an email that I got this week about a study that has was just completed by a group uh, that that basically specializes in surveys in, in the hunting, fishing, trapping crowd. 
Responsive Management has been doing surveys on public opinion on hunting, fishing, and trapping for decades. And this uh, is kind of a recent update, one of the surveys that, that they've done regularly to track changes over time on public opinion. And it looked at approval rates among the American public uh, for hunting, fishing, and trapping activities. And in general, it was overall is pretty good in terms of the public opinion. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at a graph here uh, showing the public approval of legal hunting from 1995 to 2019. And basically, the public's approval of hunting has slightly improved over time, believe it or not. Uh, back in the 90s, we had uh, approval rates in the 70s, 73 to 78%. And now we are at about 80% public approval of hunting. And disapproval is in the 15 to 20% range. So 2019, 80% of people approved of legal hunting, 13% disapproved, and then you've got kind of guys that are in the guys and gals in the gray area. So uh, that that's pretty good, but really what where we find a lot of information that kind of helps to uh, put this into perspective and helps us use this information in, in a positive way is why people approve or disapprove of our activities. And the reasons people approve for hunting really reveals a lot about the public's opinion in general. So whether you agree or disagree with this, I think most of us would disagree with this, the public has a wide range of reasons that they approve for hunting. For instance, on the high end, 85% of people approve of hunting to protect humans from harm. And 84% approve of hunting for meat. So people don't mind the fact that we hunt animals for meat. On the other end of the spectrum, only half of the public approves of hunting for sport, and 29% approve for hunting as for a trophy. So what that tells us is that regardless of what's going on in our heads as hunters, and you know, wanting to to harvest large trophy size animals the public sees that in a different way that we do even though you know we may be uh, looking for a big animal but we're also harvesting the meat we're using the meat we're eating it it, it doesn't matter for them the fact it, what they see is a rich trophy hunter that's out there for uh, it, just for the thrill of the kill and there, there are occasionally people that do that. It's an incredibly small percentage. It does not represent the hunting public, but people see that. You know, when people think hunters, people are, aren't exposed and don't know any hunters. That's what they see. This bloodthirsty killer. That's what they think about us. Uh, uh, think of trappers as in a lot of cases. So let's move on to trapping. This same survey. Approximately 52% of the American public approves of legal trapping, 31% disapprove. So trapping is is in a much more tenuous position uh, in terms of wildlife management as it compares to hunting. And let's look at the reasons people approve or disapprove of trapping. 
84% of the people who uh, approve of trapping approve of trapping as a part of a restoration program. 73% of those approve of trapping for subsistence and to control wildlife populations. 72% approve trapping for food. On the very bottom end, only 35% approve of trapping to make money, 30% for fur clothing, and 28% for recreation. So we, we're really in a vulnerable position because regardless of the reasons that, that you or I trap, the public sees trapping as more of a commercial endeavor than, than they do hunting. It's, it's, a very, it's a very interesting and very uh, potentially troubling situation where you look at the reasons you trap and I look at the reasons I trap and uh, we look at what the public thinks of why we do what we do and you know we get into the entire discussion on ethics and uh, motivations for doing certain things and it just gets incredibly blurry. Um, you could We could go on for hours and hours on why we do what we do and what's right for you and what's right for me. Uh, it's it's uh, it, The bottom line is that when we're talking to people about trapping, we need to be cognizant of what's going on in their minds if they haven't been exposed to trapping before. And we need to show people the positive benefits of trapping. We need to mention the fact that trapping is used as part of restoration programs for wildlife. Uh, trapping is important for subsistence for a number of people. Yes, we may trap to make money, but that that money can oftentimes put food on the table for families that don't make a lot of income certain times of the year. You know, that fur check can be pretty important. Um, so, so we just need to be careful of how we communicate to people who, who are not uh, really exposed to trapping. And we need to expose more people to trapping because, let's be honest, um, for responsible trappers who are following the rules and regulations, if you take somebody out who has never been exposed to trapping and you take them along on the line and they see what you do and why you do it, it's nothing like what they thought. And in almost every case, people think it's way worse than it actually is. So it's something to, to consider and to think about uh, and, and and just keep that in the back of your mind as you're talking, trapping with people and as you're interacting with, with other members of the public. Because public opinion, on whether we like it or not, is very important. It shapes uh, how people perceive things. It shapes how they vote. And really, it may shape the future uh, of trapping in the United States. And I've said it before, if it all blows up in the state that I live in, I'm just moving to Alaska. I'm going to find a place to trap out there. So <laughs> anyway, um, with that, thanks for listening into my little introduction and rant. Let's get into the interview with J.P. Wilson. I think you'll enjoy it. We got to talk about trapping out of state. That's that's obviously, in, in New Mexico especially, is a big passion of yours. Yeah. Um, how, how, how do you get into trapping out of state and, and where's that gone from there? Um, well, I, uh, when I got out of high school, um, I used to talk with Kyle Katz back and forth and, um, I think I had wrote one article for Trapper's World at that point and, uh, seeing Kyle at the New York state convention and everything and, um, 
I was on the phone with him one night and I told him that I just got out of the duck blind and he said oh I didn't know that you hunted ducks and he said do you want to come out and hunt ducks with me and Kyle lives on the Mississippi flyway and I live in upstate New York and I'm shooting mallards and wood ducks half little ponds <laughs> yeah let's go <laughs> yeah so uh got a plane ticket and all that stuff and went out and we were duck hunting and uh you know looking back on it now it it was fun to hunt ducks i since i was a teenager i've been a beretta semi-automatic and i didn't take my gun out with me i had a i was using kellen's mossberg pump so basically i had a single shot to me because by the time the duck was gone before i realized that i had to actually yep. pump it yeah so um and i i don't know i think i killed maybe two or three ducks out there the whole time um i I was young, used to my own gun, and you switched me over to a pump. It was it was just kind of a little bit out of my element, but I'm. It was one of the best trips that I've ever done in my life, and it was mostly just to be able to Hang talk out. with Kyle, yep. and Kellen too. You know, just to um, talk about different things. And Kyle showed me all of his uh, his out of state pictures and stuff, and um, and I just was you know dying to go and the stories from Neil and uh, I wanted I was always a water trapper growing up um, okay. after um, uh, my father moved he bought a house on the Saranac River and uh, so I had five miles of river to trap and for people that haven't trapped rivers before it's not just like you know like five miles of road like you have you have five miles of solid trapping i mean yeah you know you've got potential to you know i mean five miles is nothing crazy or whatever but you know you can catch a dozen mink and maybe you know 100 rats or so and 50 beavers yeah. um depending on what you've got and then the banks you know possibility for a bobcat which i not that first year or whatever but i did catch my first bobcat off the bank of the river uh fishers coons um that was just amazing when he moved there and i spent all my time on that river but um anyways back to uh the trapping out of state and stuff um so the stories from neil uh <coughs> neil and kyle uh <coughs> i really you know wanted to go i didn't know what i wanted to do this is where i was going with that so water trapping anyways when I got out of school, I wanted to trap mink. That was what I really wanted to do. And we owned a camp in the southern Adirondacks, about three hours from where I lived. And uh, it's uh, there's hardly anything there. You're in the middle of nowhere. And for whatever reason, I thought that this was going to be the best mink line <laughs> in the world. So I went out there, and uh, I think I caught, I caught like eight mink in a week. But that was it. Like, there was no coons. Nothing else. Um, I had... 40 boxes out at at that time you could uh um you could have the ground sets in new york and uh you still can but without all the crazy restrictions and stuff but um and i was hoping to catch uh catch a martin and everything out there i didn't catch any martin in a week i didn't catch any fisher in a week and i caught those eight mink and i think i had one coon and this is my this was my long this line. Long you know? line yeah. Here I am, 18 years old, away from home. Uh, I was catching, you know, 30. You've seen what these other people are catching. Yeah, and yeah. You like have all these expectations in your mind, 
and you go from uh, and when you were in school catching you know 15 mink in a year and that was trapping two hours a day and now I've got all day in a week I catch eight <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was pretty well disgusted with it and I ended up coming home early and uh, I <clears throat> I never caught a fox or a coyote or anything before, and uh, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, um, went to, uh, I forget if it was a fur takers convention or whatever, the previous summer, and um, I'd met Scott Welch there, and um, we ended up eating dinner with Scott and his wife, and um, just talked like crazy, and Scott uh, autographed a book and gave it to Alyssa, because Alyssa said, man, it'd be pretty cool to... Uh, trap coyotes rather than mink you know because she's used to kind of I used to drag her along with me in the boat and stuff <laughs> hey, nice. soaking yeah. wet and everything else and yeah it'd be pretty cool to trap coyotes like on dry ground yeah is pretty much I think what she was getting at at the time but anyway so Scott um we used to call him Captain Redbeard and all kinds of stuff <laughs> <laughs> um, um he uh, gave her a book and signed it um uh, Captain Redbeard and I came home from trapping um came back to my normal brooks and they were all set up you know i didn't really have my pick of the spots yep. and competition was there and at that time the fur prices that was when we had our little fur boom so there was people were catching mink you know they were 30 40 dollar mink at nafa that year yeah so was that um, like 2013 ish um maybe a little before that that would have been uh yeah I graduated 2010, so it was basically like as the prices started to climb, yeah, yeah. like that year. Yeah. Um, so, uh, a lot of my spots were all sewn up already, and I just didn't didn't really have the places to go. I was trying to branch out, and it took me uh, until almost Thanksgiving to catch. I think I was at 29 mink, and again, I was like disgusted. I quit my job. <laughs> so I could trap. <laughs> uh, You're gonna be a full-time trapper, yeah, lure maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quit my job so I could trap, and here I am, like over a month into it, and I've got 29 mink. You yeah. know, so um, just happened to look, and there's that buck, and I picked it up, and um, I said, you know what? Uh, I know where I, I could get permission on a farm, so I went and asked the farmer, and. He said, yeah, go ahead, you know, catch every coon you want. If you get a fox or a coyote, you're, yeah, go ahead, go for it. Um, and that's what I did. It took me, uh, um, I think it took me a week, and I caught my first red fox, and then I ended up catching another three foxes out of that set. And then I was trying to catch a coyote and not knowing anything. I didn't think that we had hardly any coyotes around. There must be only foxes. <laughs> so... Um, I ended up catching my first bobcat the year after that. Um, I was going to be a fox trapper now. Yeah. Uh, I didn't catch any foxes, but I caught 40 coyotes. Jeez. <laughs> 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 so I, I learned that I was just happened to be on one place where apparently there the foxes didn't have any pressure from the coyotes and there was a family of them. But um, Then you were a coyote trapper. Yeah, then all of a sudden I was a coyote trapper. Um <laughs> And I'd still wanted to go out of state, and that well, the first year I ended up with 41 uh, coyotes for a total. And I think I caught two bobcats that year. Um, 
I did catch a gray fox that coyotes had killed. Um, but anyway, so. So you're expanding. You're realizing kind of that New York State maybe wasn't where you needed to be yeah. solely to be a full-time trapper. Yeah. So uh, I uh, well, I ended up uh, I ended up finding another job, going back to work and stuff because I, you know, I realized yeah I'm not gonna catch a hundred thirty dollar mink and be able to just you know live off this or whatever. I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to live off of it. I planned on you know having to mow lawns and stuff. Right, in the seasonal summer. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then uh, when I uh, ended up talking with Kyle more and more. Uh, ended up buying his New Mexico DVD, which you talked about in your podcast before, and he was not lying. I wore that first DVD out, and I had to buy another. Um, but, you probably had all kinds of questions for him on. on oh yeah, 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 all kinds of questions. Um, and uh, I know that Kyle touched on it in the podcast before, but uh, he ended up giving me some information on uh, uh, the town where he went, just the name of the town and a phone number to a local trapper in that town. And uh, it took me quite a while to get a hold of him. Um, I kept leaving a message with his uh, his wife and saying that uh, I'm interested in trapping out there. And, uh, and I don't know if it was the way that the message was getting relayed, but he just didn't he didn't know what somebody from New York was calling him for. He just couldn't yeah. quite put it together. Didn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I called and he answered, and uh, we ended up on the phone for like four hours. Really? Yeah. And just you know, talk trapping. Uh, Did he know much about trapping? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yep. He'd uh, he'd trapped since the fur boom. He was uh, okay. Um, quite a bit older, like most you know people are in the the trapping industry. Pretty much, yep. he was. Uh, he's in his early sixties now. Um, but but he obviously didn't trap his whole ranch then. No, well, he. Uh, He's not a rancher. He was oh, okay. This was a contact of another trapper. Yeah. In that area. Okay. Yep. He uh, he was actually uh, he worked in the oil field his whole life, and um, basically he trapped for. He was never um, big into it to yeah. say. I mean, he you know he'd catch fifty coyotes a year, um, somewhere in there thirty to fifty. Uh, he did it for Christmas money for his family. Basically, is is why he trapped. Huh. Um, you know, gas money so they could go fishing and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but once once I got a hold of him, it's kind of uh, like I said, Kyle helped me out tremendously. And then uh, once I got a hold of Fred, that really helped put all the pieces together. Yeah. Uh, so then, so then you're like, I'm going. Yeah. Load up the truck. Yep. Yeah, that's exact. I was uh, I was 20 years old, and. Uh, I I had 41 coyotes under my belt. That was it. Um, whatever, a handful of foxes and a couple of bobcats and uh, probably 7,000 hours of Kyle's New Mexico DVD. <laughs> but um, my girlfriend at the time, but my uh, my wife came with me. Uh, she did. Yeah, we got a Springer Spaniel that was pretty much a pup then. Um, still have him. Um, the three of us got into my Toyota Tacoma and we just drove over 2,000 miles and um, that was... You went trapping. Yeah, that's what we wanted to do. So you had the permission lined up for the ranch. Was it one, Was um, it public land or private? How did you go? Well, up? The, I was going to meet up with Fred out there and he was going to show me a, a bunch of places where I could go. 
um, whether it just be one ranch, which ranches out there go by sections, you know, square miles, yeah. not acreage. You 640 know. acres, I think, per section. Yeah, one one section is one square mile. So it's, and that's that's how they go by it. They don't go by, you know, yeah, we got a 300 acre farm, which is big in the east. You know, when you yeah. get permission on yeah. a four or 500 acre farm, it's like, wow, this is a huge property. Yeah, it's nothing out there. No, it's nothing at all. It's not even a section. Um, and uh we drove all the way out there and uh it ended up that uh fred had to go in for uh surgery just a routine thing to get his gallbladder taken out while we were on our way out there and he said i'll he said i might be a little sore he said but i'll show you around well we got out there and no nobody was around it was like a couple days couldn't get a hold of anybody and i looked at my wife and i said uh, we set traps the first day. I said we just drove this far. I said I don't. We're gonna set traps, like no matter what. And um, ended up staying in the closest hotel was like 40 miles away. We didn't really have any other options, so we stayed in the hotel for a couple days. And then we finally ran into somebody, and they said, "Oh yeah, we've been looking for you." And uh, <laughs> really, yeah, they said, just tiny, tiny little town. Yeah. Um, they said, "Yeah, we've been looking for you." He's. Uh, um, they had some complications with the surgery, and uh, um, he's on a ventilator. They're not sure if he's going to make it, Jeez, and wow. all kinds of stuff. And um, it was a friend of his. Um, uh, he said they uh, talked with his wife and everything, and stay in their house. And I said, no, no, I can't do that. <laughs> and they said, no, honestly, they you never even me. met the guy in person. No, I never even met him, you know. And but that. Once you get out west, that's pretty much how everybody is. Yeah, they will, the small towns out yeah, there. Yeah, they will do anything for anybody. Yeah. And um, they said that they would much rather have somebody staying in their house right now to keep an eye on things than to have you stay in a hotel. It's a lot of trust. Yeah, yeah, you aren't kidding. And that's, you know, that's all that I could think about, too, the whole time while I was out there is please don't let somebody <laughs> break into this place, you know, while yeah, I'm... Yeah. Well, I'm got, how am I going to talk my way out of that? Nobody That'd knows That would be me. way worse than the beaver and the... Oh yeah, (laughs) guardrail (laughs) a hundred times worse. So um, we we did end up staying there because we didn't really have a choice. You weren't gonna stay in the hotel the whole time. Yeah, because we're in oil field country, so hotels are everything's booked up. Yeah, you're the cheapest hotel you can find is 130 a night. Jeez, and you just barely have hot water there. (laughs) It's not much of a hotel, so. we uh <clears throat> it, it was good we got out of the hotel ended up uh skinning in one of his pole barns we didn't have any heat or anything a lot of people don't so you were catching fur that actually the first day we set 17 traps it took 12 hours to set 17 <laughs> traps the first day but uh, literally basically did you just so it's public we it's went BLM. we went by a road atlas map you yep. know one that you can buy in any of the stores or whatever, New Mexico Road Atlas. Um, and on those maps, it shows, you know, state or BLM. And we're trying to figure out where we're at and going by that. I didn't have GPS at the time. I don't think Onyx even existed. No. Uh, um, you know, didn't. Well, didn't. they were called hunting GPS maps. <laughs> <laughs> my, actually, my, uh, my, my wife's brother is buddy college buddies with the guy that started that company oh yeah that's why i get all the free shirts yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but uh they, but yeah they were call it they were in school and they just decided 
the guy wanted to start this thing and it was hunting GPS and uh, and it's just yeah, blown it's, up since then. It's the best, the absolute best thing that and they've ever came up with. That is a better tool than any trapping thing that they sell any anywhere. Yeah. Especially for somebody going out of state. I mean, that's if they yeah, if people are worried about, you know, investing in a certain tire or <laughs> something like that, I would whatever it is for Onyx for a year. What is it like? It's $30 a year. Yeah. 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 Well worth it. I hope I get a shirt out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I will make some phone calls. So, um, it, you you started that and and you basically you looked at it was like a Delorme map. Yeah, Delorme, yeah. exactly, so, Delorme map. Okay, I've got BLM here. You drive and then you're just looking for because you yeah. you had didn't have a lot of bobcat experience under your belt at the time. No. So, like, how'd you how'd you figure out where I'm gonna make a set and I'm gonna spend? It's just we drove. I mean, we just put miles on and we looked and looked at all kinds of country and it's you know going from the Adirondack Mountains to the Sand Hills in New Mexico is um, you know you're not you're not in any like nothing's even comparable you know yeah but. I don't remember who it was, if it was Johnny Thorpe or Kyle or whoever, but it's, um, the location is the same. It's just the terrain that changes, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, Eric Martin told me that this morning. He said, take this ground here, take the trees off. That's what it is out West. Yeah. It's the same stuff. Yeah. So the trees get in the way a little bit, but essentially the, the landscape is, yeah, the terrain exactly. is the same. I mean, um, it's, you just like a, a saying that my dad's always said is you need to be able to see the forest through the trees to be able to you know as long as you need to be able to adapt to it and it didn't it didn't take that long uh for me but like i said i did have that seven thousand hours on kyle's dvd <laughs> so i was you know it, so it, you that's <laughs> where you've seen a lot of the locations and uh, yeah. okay he's sitting here he's there yeah yeah uh, the other thing that really blew my mind out there is the amount of pack rats. When I, at first, like you come to an intersection and it was like all four corners had dirt holes, and they look like the most perfect dirt hole when you see one of those little pack rat holes, little low spot in front of it. Yeah. And the first one I drove by and I said, "Somebody's trapping here." <laughs> and then I got out and like, it's nothing that I would ever do if I knew that somebody was there. But I had to stick my foot in every one of those low spots to, to see if sure. to see if there was a trap there because as we started driving there was holes everywhere. Yeah. There were millions of dirt holes. I said a dirt hole is never gonna work here. And they work awesome, you know, the right time of year, but um a dirt hole is more natural out there than a, than anything. I mean they're everywhere, but so it's uh um anyways when we ended up uh <clears throat> you set like 17 traps and yeah we set uh 17 traps the first day it took 12 hours um boy your wife was patient oh yeah <laughs> when but it i mean it was all new to her too all, all yeah. in the same you know yeah um we got lost at the end of the day and some people say well how you know how do you get lost out there and it's like how how can you not especially and when you're in that oil field country there's more roads um it's, it's just unbelievable. There's such a network of roads out there. It's yeah. it, it's hard to explain to somebody that hasn't been in them. But you can go, you can go. And there's more miles of road out there, unpaved, just two track roads, than I bet than what there is paved roads in New Mexico. I mean, it's just everywhere. 
Yeah. You, there's all kinds of access, but it's knowing where to go and how to get out of there. Um, we, uh, we were back in, I don't know, probably, I don't know, 30 miles or so and uh, missed one of our turns and then it was just just a network of roads and trying to f trying to figure our way out and back and we did have a gps for a road trying to back our way out to figure out you know how to get back to that road what direction is it and that i don't even garmin gps or whatever it is you know when you're not actually on the road your thing just sits there and spins you around in circles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um but yeah seven 17 sets the first day and uh the following check and i was i was pretty down on myself and at that point we were still in the hotel we hadn't uh met up with anybody to kind of reassure us that you know you got a place to stay. so you're kind of like man i came all the way out here i invested all this time and money and now i don't even know yeah uh, i'm at the, i'm like well we can afford to stay in that hotel and cut and go back for like 10 days yeah uh, it is what it is i said but we're gonna be here for 10 days no matter what yeah Cause it's just too far to go um and then that first check out of 17 sets, uh, we had four coyotes. Really? And then it felt a lot nice. better. And nice. then <laughs> were, they, were you set, just setting dirt holes or you set flat sets? Uh, both. Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer in whatever the location kind of lends itself to be. It'll, the set yeah. basically, it's already made, like it's pretty much already made in my head when I get out of the truck. You okay. know, it's just, it's right there. Like that screams for a dirt hole. Um, and I know some guys call them flat sets and post sets and, uh, you know, baited clump sets. <laughs> well, Trench sets. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm dirt holes and flat sets, and they're, yeah. they might all be a little different or whatever, but that's, to me, there's, there's basically two sets. Yeah. And when it's bobcats, there's a walkthrough set to add into the, into the mix. But, yeah, so there's pretty much three kinds of predator sets in my mind. So that first year, were you targeting coyotes or um both coyotes and bobcats i i wanted to catch new mexico bobcat in the worst way just because just but you feel there's more coyotes on that ground yeah yeah it was i was definitely in coyote country but every day i would look at my wife and say boy i just want to catch one new mexico bobcat <laughs> yeah. just one new mexico bobcat <laughs> and uh we were we were doing pretty good on the coyotes once once we've kind of figured out a route and had that established and a fair amount of sets out um, the first year, the most amount of traps that I had out at one time was 80 sets and with learning all the country and having the skin in the dark, no heat, um, we had to be back at somewhat of a reasonable time, but we were still, um, I think that first year we had a, one day we had eight coyotes. We had a couple of days of seven, a couple of days of six. Nice. Um, I didn't have enough stretchers. We had to go buy a freezer. Uh, <laughs> It was just, uh, it, it was a huge learning experience to yeah. say the least. Um, and then, <clears throat> uh, lost my train of thought. I thought I was just going to get good. No. He <laughs> <laughs> no. paused for a minute, looked off in the distance. No. Uh, so anyways, uh, <clears throat> back to the new mexico bobcat that's where we were yeah because you're piling up yeah. the coyotes now and then you, but the whole time in the back of your mind is like i want to catch one of these and the, were those like five seven hundred dollar cats at the time they were yeah. yeah and uh it wasn't even so much the money it was just that i wanted to i just wanted to catch one i mean i'd caught cats at home you know don't 
we don't have a ton of cats where I'm at in New York. You know, you can, if you catch one a year, you did good. Some years you might catch five or six, you know, it all depends on what you've got. But uh, I remember that first New Mexico bobcat. We came up over this ridge and uh, this cat was just blended into the sage perfectly right there. And, unless, and I said it right as we came over the hill. And I told, I told Neil, I told a lot of people, I said, whenever, uh, I said, right before, right before I catch a cat, my hand itches, palm my hand itches. And <laughs> no, nobody believes me. And going up there, man, my hand is itching. And that was like, that was like where it all started. And I swear to God, uh, the first cat that Neil caught in New Mexico, we're driving down the road and I'm going like this. <laughs> I swear, I swear to God, I'm scratching the bottom of my hand. I don't know what it is, but so... <laughs> Uh, anyways, I'm we're driving up that little two-track road, and I just keep scratching the palm of my hand. Man, this is killing me. We come up over that ridge, and Alyssa looks at me and says, "Well, there's your first New Mexico bobcat." I didn't see it. Really? Yeah. I said, "Come on." I'm and I'm looking at my set, and it's just up on top of the bank. So there's nothing wrong with that set. Uh, didn't go anywhere with the drag wrapped around that one piece of sage, and was tucked in right behind the back of it and I didn't see it until I was right on top of it and there really? it was and there jumping up and down and that same reaction from the first cat to the one today is hasn't changed yeah <laughs> but that's awesome so you just you basically just took a big risk and said I'm going to do it and worked out yeah you could have turned around and said eh the guy guy's in the hospital I don't got a place to stay I don't got any money yeah that was tail between your legs and go back east like like I told Kyle why I was you know on him so much about information about going out there is I did not want to go cold rolling I didn't want to have a trip like I had to my camp in the Adirondacks and just kind of you know this there was a lot more cost involved in this and I really didn't want to you know fall flat on my face and when I got out there that was pretty much like where my mind was at is it was my biggest fear and I'm living it right now and uh it all it all ended up working out but yeah. so have you been back to new mexico every year since then um every year but one uh my my wife and i got married we went on a whitetail hunt in texas um i'm not a big deer hunter at all never been uh just not just not my thing not patient love to bird hunt oh there's a cannon <laughs> <laughs> Uh, absolutely love to bird hunt. Uh, 735, off goes the cannon. Early tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Probably go off again. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, yeah, I can't sit in a tree stand either. Yeah, it's Driving just crazy. not. But she's a deer hunter then. Not, um, yeah. Uh, she, the, she didn't trap with me the first year that we went out to Mexico, but the first year that I caught 100, uh, 40 of those are to her credit because she did trap with me the second year. Really? Yeah. Can't stand to watch her make a set. She makes like a, a step up set. <laughs> but it works apparently. Uh, yeah. Uh, she was she was beating me that second year. I think she had like 17 and I had like eight coyotes or something like that. Like within the first week there, whatever it was. And uh, it really wasn't sitting well with me. And then one. <laughs> <laughs> one day we caught nine and I caught every single one of them and it's that you know friendly competition or whatever but yeah uh oh, she was wild that day uh, nine coyotes and I caught every one of them not a <laughs> not a single one was hers but 
we have a lot of fun. But she was, she's definitely been my my best trapping partner that I've ever had. But yeah, that's pretty cool. So you got you 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 keep going back, and it's I'm guessing that you've expanded and met some ranchers and got permissions on places. And yeah, um, I've become more effective as you've got been there more. Yeah, um, I got to the point where trapping in the sand hills for coyotes not to s- um it's probably your trapping partner right there it is yeah <laughs> um not to say that uh i got s- sick of catching coyotes but i just i wanted something different after a few years of it um and i the the best year that i had on cats out there along with the coyotes was six in that sand hill country and uh I wanted to find more cats. Yeah. Um, so you're looking for like more rimrock, sagebrush type country? Yeah, or? a little bit, uh, a little bit higher elevation, um, more into the mountains, so to yeah. speak, or you know, looking for river bottom, something, you know, cat country. Just get get out of the sand hills, basically. Um, see some different country. Um, I also kind of liked the idea of not having the skin that many coyotes in a short amount of time yeah like i said i would i would gladly go do it again but um it's probably gotten better now that those coyotes are worth 100 well what are they there are they hundred dollar um, coyotes no no they're uh they are western coyotes is the color that they get out to be a lot of them are flats they're too far south yeah um part of the reason for me wanting to go to more southern new mexico is i didn't i was leaving snow behind you know what yeah, i mean yeah. i didn't want yeah. i was leaving the freezing conditions i wanted i wanted to go and trap i didn't want to you know struggle with freezing sets but and there are times that you still do i mean it's it, the weather can change in an instant out there um i've dealt with snow freezing rain uh inches of rain out there which makes roads pretty much impassable it's yeah gum, is it gumbo there it can be yeah it's it all depends on where you're at but um yeah you're weather can i mean one time when i trapped in the sacramentos uh we never even left the camp for two days yeah you just the rancher said that he said when it rains here you you can't go yeah i did that in montana and you just sit there you just yeah it like, dries out fast when it when yeah it you, you dry, just need a wind yeah the two days is because it rained again the second day <laughs> which <laughs> you know it's like oh good it's starting to dry up but yeah when he that one rancher told me that he said you just can't go and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go. <laughs> I tried to go. and Yeah, your tires just spin. You put chains on, chains just suck, just you, another yeah, layer of gumball on the outside of the chain. Yeah. Uh, the way that they grade a lot of those roads out there, um, all the roads are down in. You know, they just keep running the blade over the top of them. So a lot of those roads are down in. So when the water gets in them, they can't, does, it just soaks them up. And I remember trying to go. Like I was gonna, I had to do something. We we laid around there for a couple hours, and I said I we might as well go check a few traps. And uh, there was this just a little bit of a hill, and uh, that gumbo. And the way those banks are, my truck was just like a pinball from one side to the other, trying to climb up that hill. Yeah. Bounced off the banks both sides, all the way back down to the bottom of the hill. <laughs> then we couldn't get turned around. Oh, I did. I, I slept in a truck in an angle like that in the past. Yeah. Oh, Across yeah. the Missouri River. 
and trying to climb back up to get out of there and there's just a little too much rain and they did the same exact thing you're describing just yep. just boom stop there i sit there and just kind of slept yep. in the truck and it was about noon time the next day when we could finally climb up yeah we uh that year in sacramento uh it was me and my buddy fred that year um we were trying to pull traps uh we were going to stay there for three weeks um there was rain and then snow in the forecast we ended up uh that happened on day 14. day 17 we were finally able to get out and start pulling our traps we wanted to stay there for 21 checks with the weather in the forecast we were just going to lay around so we were trying to get everything pulled on that 17th day and uh there was this pretty steep hill in this corner and it was right in the sun though fred said boy the only way to know is to try it but it was like a 30 foot drop <laughs> yeah those, the are, side. those can be scary yeah the only way to know is to try it and I, I pretty and i've always been this way if i'm not busy i like i'm ready to go home it doesn't matter where i am like if i'm not trapping every day i don't want to just hang out in a camper or yeah you want to be doing something yeah so i said well i'm gonna try it we almost made it to the top of it and the whole front of that truck slid over and we had uh um algerita limbs pinon limbs everything coming through the windows of the truck because uh, it just started to go and there was nothing that i could do i slammed the truck in reverse and i just matted it to the floor yeah that's what you got to do yeah right? and I, I still don't know how because we couldn't see anything we were just right over the edge into all the brush, junipers, everything. And somehow the truck came back out up on top of the road. Jeez. I don't know. Like, I really don't know what happened. All of a sudden we can see again. We're at the base of the hill. Still fa still facing up the hill. Yeah. But I, I don't know. You sit there for a while. Yeah. Well, then then I ended up walking the, like half a mile to go get those couple cat sets. I've seen guys do that. They're coming coming down a hill, and they said, "If you if you start sliding, you just gun it." Yeah. You, you have to. Yeah. It's the only way to get out of it. If you if you hit the brakes, I mean, you just. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gone. You don't want to hit the brake in that stuff. It's for like people in the east. You know, I've been in a lot of clay and stuff in New York. There's nothing like it. No. There is honestly nothing like it. It's a. Uh, it's crazy to think that you literally you don't go anywhere. So when did you take Neil out there? Um, I think that was my third trip out. Um, Neil had been after me to go, and uh, I'm trying to think. We should probably plug that book too. My lifestyle is my pay, 2019. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's sold out now. We yeah, he is sold out. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's 180 pages of Neil's trapping experiences, and um, JP has a chapter on, in there. Um, that's a lot of history right there. Yeah, it's a it should be a pretty good read. Yeah. Um, but Neil had been after me to go for quite a while, and uh, my it was actually on the the second year out there on our way back. Um, my wife got accepted in the nursing school we found out on the way back and nice. that is why she couldn't go um the third year and she was pretty wild about it but <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh i remember i called up neil and all that i said is it's time neil 
And he said, I'll be ready. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and it, nice. Was, it was just hilarious because he knew exactly, <laughs> exactly what I meant. And uh, yeah, he always answers the phone the same way. J.P. Wilson. <laughs> every, every time. And I said, it's time. That was, that was it. I'll and be ready. Go, yeah, I'll be ready. <laughs> but You went up, you, did you sleep in the truck? You, I've heard bits and pieces of that. Um, no, we, uh, the year with Neil, we slept in a cinder block building with no insulation. <laughs> it's the, like one of the coldest years on record ever in that oh, part geez. of New Mexico. We got out there and uh, the whole, the whole ride out and years of me telling Neil, you know, it's, uh, this was, af- just, was this when you decided to go up in the higher elevations and get after cats? No, this was, uh, this another was still sand, trip. sand hills. Okay. Um, and that was uh, that was a big thing for Neil too. Is that Neil? Neil never caught a hundred coyotes in a single season. I think he was like ninety six or something like that. But he never caught a hundred in a single season. And uh, I said, well, hopefully we can do that again. But uh, so I, I'm telling him the whole way out. It's like playing in a sandbox. You know, dig your trap bed and just kick your heel. <laughs> You don't even need to sift anything. You take your hand, you just mash the dirt. Oh, over. there's the cannon again. <laughs> uh, you just, you know, mash the dirt back Oh, you had 30 of hours of driving or, or more to, to talk oh, about yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're going on and on, you know, about how nice the conditions are and the ground never freezes. And um, so we hit, uh, we hit Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, there's a skiff of snow on the ground. We start going through Abilene. Doesn't seem right. A little bit, you know, snow on the cactus, on the little prickly pears. said, I've never seen this before. <laughs> and then you go through Rangers Pass, which is, uh, you gain a bunch of elevation there in Texas. And there's salt in the roads. And I'm like, this doesn't happen out here. And uh, we get a little bit further in, uh, um, further into West Texas. And there's inches of snow. And then we get into uh, <coughs> eastern New Mexico, and there's feet of snow. Jeez. And wow. They've got uh, graders out there, and they're blading all the snow to the center of the road. Yeah. And uh, they don't know what to do with it. No. Because they, they don't get that very Yeah, often. exactly. Um, they ended up with uh, one of the worst blizzards that they've ever had. They got uh, like 18 inches of snow. But the big thing out there is the drifts. Yeah. Because there's nothing, they don't have the trees. They don't have anything to really stop it. Yep, it just goes and goes. Until it does stop. And then it's, there were some drifts that were six feet. So, and with that much moisture, the ground will freeze out there when it's cold enough. <laughs> we had uh, we had a lot of like not single digit mornings. One was nine degrees. We had an 11 degree, 11 degree day. Um, and it took about, uh, took about a week for it to actually all melt out there, which is pretty much unheard of i mean it's, right usually two three days and it's gone yeah so it uh but yeah we dealt with all kinds of freezing conditions um i didn't bring any antifreeze with me because i hadn't had a reason to before uh we were making the salt water brine and spraying that <laughs> really yeah spraying that on our sets you're just constantly remaking sets yeah yeah and actually the first the first day this was my third year out there um, it took us 12 hours to put in 32 sets, trying to figure out where we could actually get to because of the snow. Yeah. And, uh, two guys, that's, 
It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, it was it was a struggle though, but um, we ended up they moved pretty good. We had nine coyotes at first check, um, and then we were able to get some more sets out as the snow started to melt. Um, did get my truck buried out there one day in a snow drift. Um, we were driving. We were the only ones out there though, because everybody was, you know, not used to driving in the snow and everything. And um, there was one one spot the snowdrift was up to the windshield of my truck, and we just <laughs> it was hammer right through it. Yeah, it was down. It was down <laughs> in this uh, this draw that ran for like six miles, and uh, that had always been good for bobcats. And I told Neil, I said, we got to get in here. And of course, the, like the one, like it's bare ground on the other side, and there's a drift right at the one spot that we got to get in. So we hit it at like 40. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. so you guys, you guys did all right considering the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that that year um, uh, was the best year that I've ever had on coyotes out there. Um, I think the cold temperatures had a big played a big part in it moving more yeah um not that it was uh it was a crazy amount more than uh the year previous uh my wife and i caught 121 days and then neil and i caught 111 and 18 yeah so it was a little bit better for sure but and and after that you moved into more of the bobcat yeah after after that point um i don't want to say that i was sick of skinning coyotes but i also don't really you know haven't really missed it you know you catch one cat a day and it's five minutes to skin it and uh i do the nevada style stretch and all that so you're another 45 minutes with wide belly yeah um all the pinning and borax and all that kind of stuff but so <laughs> I make probably more work out of it than what it needs to be, but I try to make everything look nice. Um, but yeah, ever since then, um, I, I've basically been looking for cats, you know, different mountain ranges and uh, seeing some different parts of the state and, um, you know, uh, last year we caught 15 cats in 14 days. We stumbled nice. into a bunch of them you know it just happened to work out that's one of those places where i wish that i could scout boy that yeah um and you know really put some footwork in yeah because you could go back and have the exact opposite yeah you know um that that was also another cold last year was a cold rolling trip um so you just last year you just went to a brand new place you had never tried before yeah um and uh, uh looking back on it now that first year was the most fun that I've ever had trapping you know it was just there were so so many new things so many obstacles and at the time it was when I actually when I left there the first year I said I'm never going back again like it was really oh yeah there was so so much stuff that went on and different scenarios and uh we, we had somebody uh say that we were uh uh um, piling up all of our skin carcasses uh, right in the front lawn and um, th- there was nothing there but it was just more added drama to the situation yeah, than what needed that you to don't be. need yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. but um, yeah after that first year I wasn't sure if I'd ever go back and I've, I've been back pretty much every year since but you going back next year 
Um, I don't think so. We just, my wife and I just had a baby and it's, uh, it's, it's different. Um, it, I love being a dad and I, part of it is I would hate to leave for that long of a time, yeah. but it's also, uh, it would make it a lot easier on my wife if I did stay. Yeah. So maybe she'll go without you. <laughs> she might she probably wouldn't mind but um eventually i mean i definitely will be going out again but yeah once then once my daughter gets a little older and a little bit easier for sure she's probably going to come with me so <laughs> that, that's awesome so one of the best pieces of advice i've heard recently is if you want to trap if you want to be a trapper these days and you're really young ambitious and you want to get into it find an occupation where you can work seven to ten months out of the year and then take the rest of the time off trapping yep that's the way to do it and uh it's pretty good advice i think <laughs> you know yeah. i can't do it personally but um if you can have if you can take big blocks of time off like that yeah i mean that's i'm i'm a heavy equipment operator and where i'm at in northern part of new york state that's you know if you if you work eight months out of the year you had a great year if you work nine it was an awesome year i mean we get such bad winters and very yeah. comparable i'm sure to what what you're yeah used if you to. worked at thanksgiving and you're doing good where we're at yeah yeah um so yeah normally i can i can make it until about christmas time somewhere in there so pretty yeah pretty similar but um and then uh, you just can't work. I mean, it's it's hard for people to fathom that, like out west, you know. Right. Like you, no, if the you, ground's frozen and there's six feet of snow on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, We're I, done. Yeah. <laughs> I work for an excavating company. <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's just not cost effective to do it. It's yeah. it's worth shutting down, and it's hard it's hard to explain that to people that have never, you know, been around that before. They think. You know, you get laid off, man. You're you're in you're in a bad way right now, and it, <laughs> that's it's, just it, part it's, of the game. It's here. part of it, yeah. In this, you know, northeast corner of the U.S., it's it is what it is. Yeah. But. So, what's your thoughts on the future of the trapping industry? We're you know, there's kids here, but we're kind of we're pretty young demographic here compared to most of the attendees. Yeah. Uh, that's the the thing. The kids, the kids that are here, will they be here when they're our age? You know what I mean. It's, if there was half of them, I think that'd be great. Yeah. But uh, I was talking with Neil about it earlier, and the hardest, the hardest thing is, is that I agreed with him that people definitely need to be educated about you know the facts of trapping. But what we have working against us is. Uh, it's people's emotions. It's not, you can feed them all the facts and the truth that they want. Yeah. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's not, it, it's all based off their emotions. That's what, P yeah. Uh, PETA and the Humane Society, and that's what they do. That's like how we were talking about marketing and stuff before the podcast. I mean, that's, it's, they know what they're doing. I mean, that's, they're attacking people's emotions. Absolutely. And people, we make decisions as humans based on things, many things that have nothing to do with logic right. and common sense. And, and that's the tough part about it. 
Um, yeah, it's it's tough. But I do. I feel like there's guys like J.P. Wilson that and Cole Porter was the same way, and I I feel like I was the same way. That were predisposed to be trappers. Like we grew up and we had this mindset. Like all we needed was somebody to help us along. Yeah. And and I hope that we're gonna be the guys that'll help these youngsters along. You know, and, and uh, okay, half the kid, half of these people, probably three quarters of these people, they're gonna have no interest in in trapping. They'll they'll understand it. They'll they won't think bad about trapping because they have you know good experiences. They know trappers. But there's there may be a quarter of them. That would be really good trappers, and would be would love trapping. They need maybe the, just that extra little push. They see that trap hanging up in the garage. That's it. Yeah. And and have that old timer come in and say, "Hey, you want to come out and run the line with me? Let's let's go." Yeah. Cause that's really a common theme. Like you had like Paul Grimshaw. Yeah. I talk to guys all the time. That guy, I saw that trap. I wanted to be a trapper. That guy took me to that next step. Yeah, and then once you get there, you you go. If yeah, you, if you want it, you can figure it out. Exactly right. Especially today, you know, there's online, there's so oh, many yeah. resources. That's like, uh, um, you know, another. Uh, I can't I can't leave it completely out. I guess is uh, I also ruined one of uh, Scott Welch's DVDs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's uh, you know, there's if if you can set your mind to it and you have a good work ethic, if, you know, if numbers is what you're after, there's so much information out there. You, within, within the first year, you should come close and the second year you should be able to do what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, that first year is the learning curve. But I mean, you, uh, that's, that's somebody that is going to dive right into it. That is, you know, when I, when I was in school, um, I used to work summer jobs so I could buy traps. Yeah. And have enough gas money so I could do it. Like, that's all that I did. You know, I forget who it was. Somebody had told me at one point that, you know, there's going to come a day where you're going to have a family and you aren't going to be able to do all this stuff. And I said, <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll <laughs> never happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but like at that, at that point in my life, it was like, you know, I'm, this, this is why I'm here. I'm, I'm going to trap you know for the rest and i am going to trap for the rest of my life yeah um i love to go out west you know that the thrill of new country being out there i think that that's something that is in certain people's dna absolutely that need to go yep. you know it's hard it's hard to explain to some people they yep. can't fathom the fact you drive three thousand miles to go catch bobcats there's people that that never go further than three hours from where they grew up their yeah. entire life I don't know how they do it. I mean, there's so there's just so much out there. Whether you whether you trap or hunt or whatever, I mean, I can't believe that people just don't want to see it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. All right, Cole. Any other thoughts? Jeez, I don't know. I just got back. <laughs> Where'd you go? Oh. Like Tyler, Tyler, for real? You go to take a leak? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bathroom break. Yeah. Had to go to the woods. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people around here. I didn't want to sit too close. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was... Uh, like 50 kids. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to scare here. them. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll go to the woods. No, no. JP, that was awesome. Thanks for thanks for uh, agreeing to be on here, and uh, it's great to talk with you. Yeah, you too. Anytime.